it's Blue, CEO of Blue Bunny. We just launched our new twist on soft serve, Twist Cones. The only things softer than Twist Cones are soft rock, ocean breezes, and the bunnies from accounting. And that's it. Blue Bunny, we make fun. Three, two, one. Never has there been a better time to be alive in human history. If you're not feeling it, you must discover why. Join Matthew Bolton in developing and applying a framework of objective optimism toward a flourishing life of meaning, health, and happiness. Here's your host, Matthew Bolton. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mr. Brightside. I'm Matthew Bolton. Today's show is an interview with guest Donna Hoffman, who's an interior designer, but she's also an interior design coach. Uh, the people she instructs or coaches, uh, her community are known as design divas, of whom there are over 100,000. Um, after this interview, I might uh, put myself in the camp of design divo, because I just uh, learned so much about how to think about my home. And this is why I invited her in the first place. I was really taken by the way she thinks about interior design. It's not just telling you what the latest trends are and what's going on, although she knows all about that. It's about how she fundamentally thinks about color and light and space and windows and accessories and everything about your home. She thinks of it as as a place that can really affect your life for better or worse, what she might would, would call environmental psychology, um, which we touch on, uh, among many other things. Um, she can he- tell you how to find your design fingerprint. Um, and I just look forward to re-listening to this myself because I have to go back and, and think about so many things because I'm uh, you know, always thinking about how I can make my home a better place that expresses what I'm about and is a beautiful place for me to live in that gives me comfort, uh, convenience and joy. So um, I just think this uh, was such a great interview. I, I was a fantastic, fabulous guest, and I just um, I, I can't recommend this interview enough. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Hi, everybody. Welcome now to our interview. I'm joined by Donna Hoffman, uh, a multi-award-winning interior designer based in Pennsylvania, USA. Donna's company, Interiors by Donna Hoffman, specializes in new construction, renovation, whole home and full room design, delivering livable luxury to discerning clients. Seen in Forbes, Real Simple, TV and radio, Donna is considered a design thought leader. Prior to founding Interiors by Donna Hoffman and the Interior Design Advocate, Donna was a leading TV TV show host at QVC Network. Donna founded her innovative brand, the Interior Design Advocate, TIDA, we'll call it, providing online education and coaching to design enthusiasts across the world. Tita at theinteriordesignadvocate.com has earned Donna the title of America's number one design coach. Through Tita, Donna provides online courses that empower DIYers in the U.S. and beyond with innovative design strategy, leading them to surprise themselves with the amazing results they create in their own home. Donna instructs her design divas on methods and strategies to get an upscale look without the killer price tag. To date, she has taught over 100,000 design divas. Donna asks, why DIY when you can DWO, that's decorate with others. Donna, thanks very much for joining us here today. Sure. I'm exhausted just listening to you say all that. Where did I get the time? <laughs> I don't know. Well, you're, you're very busy. You're doing something and you're doing something well uh, to have all this going on. Um, first off, I want to ask you about that. What does it mean to, to decorate with others versus DIY? Yeah. So here's the story. 
you know, we would have, and this is a little bit of the background of Tita or the interior design advocate. We would have people call our company. We're a luxury design company and boutique where, you know, we, we have a certain size and um, people would either, we would, we either, we couldn't help them because we couldn't take them on soon enough or, they would hear our pricing and say, mm, that doesn't really work for our budget. And they feel badly when they've reached that conclusion. So I told my team, listen, I really want to help more people. I feel like DIY design lovers are getting screwed by the design machine, the DIY design machine. Everybody's out there by themselves, gathering information, Pinteresting themselves to death, Googling everything, and kind of getting into a lot of troubles to the, to the point that where house did a survey as reported in a big magazine called El Decor, 98% of design lovers, 98% reported that they're not happy with their design results. So here are all these people working on their own in their own little vacuum, frustrated, spending time, money, effort, things aren't going so well. So we started the interior design advocate so women wouldn't feel alone. There are men in our, in our tribe also, our divos, but we got a lot of mostly divas. Um, and amazingly, our community has not only responded so well to the way I teach design, the way I put together these online courses, but it's the community that they love. Because all of my courses, there are three of them, each has its own private Facebook group. So you're not alone anymore you can post pictures and questions and the whole community can you know mm-hmm. pop in and help you so yeah. diy did do it yourself versus dwo do it with decorate with others easy choice for us right very easy and you obviously get a lot better i bet you have a lot more satisfied people than 98 percent dissatisfied because they're getting to ask a question about it get a, get a lead get some help i mean I love yeah, and get the strategy, get the strategy behind things. You know, design is not just a bunch of one-off, random, nebulous ideas. Design is really, when you do it right, it's very strategic. It's very logical. Um, and my students, they're not professionals. They amaze themselves with what they can create using what I teach in my online courses, which thrills me to no end. And some of them actually do go on and say, hey, I want to become a professional now. But our, our point and purpose is really to not create professionals, but to help people create the home environment that they wish they could and didn't ever dream that they would be able to. Mm-hmm. Well, I love the sound of all of that. Um, I'm going to go on here. I mean, people might wonder why, why Matthew, do you have an interior designer on your show, right? This show, we talk about optimism on the show, which I mean, living an optimal life. So we talk a lot about physical, mental health, relationships, productivity, psychology, philosophy. You know, basically, how do we live the best possible life in all respects? Well, I think uh, that we, um, the spaces we live in affects all other aspects of our lives. You bet. They facilitate or frustrate them, uh, depending on how you have things set up. Now, I had an early show, um, not an interview, but sometimes I do solo shows where I just talk about a topic and go out. It was called Create Your Own Environments. And on that, I encourage listeners to be very deliberate about the spaces they live in, about choosing um, how do you organize, even decorate and light your spaces, um, setting you up for optimal productivity, obviously, like things that you need to do, but also for comfort and enjoyment, too. Um, Now, I didn't really have any great practical advice on how to do that from that point. And this is where you can come in, right? I think that, um, you know, living an optimal life includes beauty, right? I want to have a beautiful life. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, I want to help people love everything about themselves and about their lives. 
And this includes loving their home and all the spaces they live in. So I have a broad question to kick us off, Donna. How can someone start to love the home they live in? Sure. You're actually touching on something near and dear to my heart, which is environmental psychology. Uh, Studies have been done that show hands down that our environments absolutely affect the way we feel in our skin every day, the way we function. Um, and you absolutely want to, I call it stacking the deck. Why not stack the deck so you can live your best life? And we believe, we, we joke around here about improving life one room at a time. But um, truly, what you want to do to start this process, I think you want to educate yourself. And I think you want to get off the merry-go-round of one-off ideas. You know, you read all the blogs. I, I blog, 300-word blog post, 400-word blog post. You can't really say a lot in 400 words, not, not, nothing meaningful to really move the needle. So I think get, you're getting some education, whether I'm the right coach for somebody or find another online coach, I think getting your hands on some good online design education is a game changer. I've seen it for people because it's not about what you spend. It's about what you do with what you spend. And um, definitely getting cutting through the clutter not, not just the idea clutter, but even the clutter in your environment opens you up to starting to build the, your, an environment that feels great to you versus the guy down the street or the woman across uh, down the block. Because everybody has a unique design fingerprint. Your, desi- your design fingerprint would be different than somebody else's, even if you had the same style, even if you both liked modern or you both like transitional living underneath that and understanding what your design fingerprint is enables you to start stacking the deck, loading your environment with things that you absolutely love. And by your design fingerprint, I'll tell you what I mean by that is, is how you uniquely relate to things like line, form, shape, color, texture, pattern, placement, just to name a few things, how you need color mapped and run through a space, what colors you crave, what colors you just don't function well around at all, don't care for. When you know your design fingerprint, what to put in your environment becomes a lot more clear. And then how to put together the environment, that's that's some of the strategy I teach as well. So I teach people how to identify their unique design fingerprint. It's a game changer. And then I put them into strategic design thinking. And you combine those two things and amazing things start to happen in your environment. Wow. Well, this that, that was a long answer, but it's, it's a passionate, it's a passionate question you gave me. It, it resonates with one of my passions. Yeah, no, I mean, this, this is what, what drew me to have you on. Cause it's like, okay, I could ask somebody about interior design, but the way you come at it, it's not a one-off. It's about fundamentally thinking about what it, why is it, why are environments important? What, how does that affect our lives? And then what are the fundamental strategies that we can use to, to you know, find, discover our own styles, etc. Yeah, here's an interesting statistic: um, ceiling height alone. A, a study was done that showed that when people were in a work environment with a very high ceiling, it expanded their creative thinking. But when they were in a, in, a, in an environment that had a lower ceiling, it expanded and supported more detailed thought and thinking. So think about it. Let's say you're working from home and you're an accountant or financial planner. And let's say you're doing an addition on your home and the builder says, hey, you want your office to be a two-story. We can vault this. We can make this a two-story. Well, if you're an accountant and a detailed person, 
detailed number crunching, you might say, you know what, I don't think I, I might want that in my relaxing space, put that in my living room, that vaulted ceiling. But in my own study, I think I want to have that ceiling a little, you know, like give me a regular eight foot or nine foot. So um, a lot has a, a lot has been studied about how to maximize people's performance and mood through environment. Yes, I got it. I'm going to, I can already see, I'm going to have to, I mean, I'm listening to this anyway when I'm editing, but uh, I'm going to be re-listening to this to make sure I get all these good stuff. I mean, I can see it happening already. Um, I guess, um, let's see then. That's, yeah, that's, that's no good anymore. Well, what is trending now? <laughs> well, it really isn't. You've, you've just answered it. It's like, it's irrelevant now. Um, what is trending in interior design these days? Sure. Well, great, great question. So the good news is, is that there's never a single design trend happening at the moment. There are always multiple trends developing worldwide. And trends don't just, you know, develop and then they drop dead. What they do is they develop, they, you know, maybe plateau for a while, then they morph and they start to rise again, then they turn a little bit, twist direction, and then they start to rise again. So there's a cycle to a trend. And there are always multiple trends happening at any time. I can talk to you about those. But interestingly, too, different countries have different trend style preferences. And within a single country, like the U.S., for example, different trend styles are more popular in different regions. So it's kind of a kind of a, a thick conversation. So in terms of what's trending right now, modern always is a, a safe bet. Mid-century modern just holds its place. Modern design always holds its place. Here in the United States, transitional design is sort of a blend between traditional and transitional, still holding its weight, not going away. Traditional design doesn't go away. It's just never the newest thought, the newest thing. And the way it changes is that within a trend, you can have different colors that are trending, different... Um, shapes and silhouettes that are trending. So traditional today looks different than traditional 20 years ago. It's still traditional, but the color palettes changed, the silhouettes of furniture changed. Some, um, some things happening in the U.S. right now and parts of Europe. Boho is, uh, can either be kind of industrial looking or it can be kind of chic, shabby chic, like Parisian boho. Um, so those are some, and oh, modern farmhouse is having a very big moment right now, particularly in the United States. Um, and it's interesting, you know, farmhouse had its moment and then it started to morph into more modern farmhouse and it got a little industrial looking. Rustic is, has been having a moment. Rustic started to turn into rustic glam. Um, so like I said, a trend style starts to kind of morph and take on some new steam and some new energy. Does that make sense? Yes. And it's very curious, all of that, uh, just, and, and that's probably true in other things. Would you say that's true in other things other than design trends in music and fashion? I mean, it's not your expertise, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, well, fashion, um, picture two wheels. Fashion is a smaller wheel and it turns faster. Interior design is a big wheel. So it takes longer for it to make a single revolution. Yeah. So, um, fashion trends move a lot faster you know, year to year, season to season sometimes, interior design trends can take a, between seven and 10 years to really develop and then start to soften and, and, and diet, take their, their, their nose dive. Hey, it's Blue, CEO of Blue Bunny. To celebrate the launch of our new twist on soft serve, Twist Cones, the office bunnies have been streaming music 24-7. 
mostly soft rock. Which makes sense. Blue Bunny, we make fun. Hey, it's Blue, CEO of Blue Bunny. We just launched a new twist on soft serve called Twist Cones. And I wanted you to hear how soft they are. Just listen. Maybe it's more of an in-person thing. Blue Bunny, we make fun. Um, and certainly with the advent of the, uh, you know, the information age that we're in, a lot of people argue that trends are now taking more like seven, you know, seven years in interior design. And some people think as little as five. And I, I'm, I'm not biting off on that one. But I do think we're not solidly at 10 years for a design trend to, to develop, morph, and then take its swan dive. I think seven to 10 is, is, a, is a good estimate on that. Right. Okay. And I'm, yeah, I'm curious about that a little in something I have for a little later, maybe. Um, how do you, how would you facelift a room with great results? If we just want to facelift, how do we do any of that? Yeah. So I actually have one of my online courses is called design CPR, creating perfect rooms <laughs> with accessories. Yeah. And, um, I think that there is, I know that there is so much overlooked power in accessorization and, and accessorization in a room is, tied to not just the decorative accoutrement you put on top of the furnishings, but it also has a little bit to do with your paint color, has a little bit to do with your lighting. If you want to do a really low cost and fast uh, design facelift to a room, amazing things can be done by shoring up your accessories, all of those decorative elements, tabletop, wall art, etc. But believe it or not, something I teach in this course, your Furniture layout has everything to do with the success of your accessorization, your room styling. If you if you blow it, if you screw it up on your furniture layout, you're never going to get that Pinterest beautiful result, that fabulous feeling result, fabulous looking result. So design, like I said, is so strategic and it's all these parts and components are interconnected. Um, but the fastest and lowest cost way to facelift a room is always to shore up your, what you already have, shore up the furniture layout that you already have, mm-hmm. guarantee, willing to bet, and I'm not a betting woman, but I'm willing to bet that people watching and listening right now have made some key and common mistakes in their layout. You straighten out your layout, you learn how to rock your accessorization, and you decide if your paint color is right. If it isn't, you, you, you do a quick, a quick facelift change on that, and my gosh, you have a phenomenally redone room with a very low cost. All right. Well, I've got, it. I've got something on all these little things you mentioned, color, light, furniture, and I wanted to kind of hit those things sure. each and something yeah. about it. Maybe furniture. Yeah. Especially if the layout's so important. I, mean, you know, I kind of tend to agree, but although I don't know about it as you do, but I, t- I, that's, I have a, an idea that furniture must be so important, the layout. How do you think about furniture in general before I ask you more specific questions about it? Well, um, something that's drilled into our heads in design school is function first, then beautiful. I had a professor, a design teacher who said, you got to nail the function because if you put together a room that doesn't function well, your clients will be throwing darts at your picture no matter how beautiful it looks. So furniture is part of the function, right? Mm -hmm. It's how a room allows you to perform in it. Um, It's how traffic flow, meaning you walking through the space and your guests and your family. So furniture affects how you move through space. The feng shuiists believe that furniture also affects how the energy moves around a space. Um, As a designer, I also, at this point, it's very intuitive for me, but um, 
I also look at how furniture broadcasts the weight weight through the space, so the space feels so space feels balanced um, as you're in it, as you look at it, and as you look past it into adjoining spaces. So furniture is the bones of the room. Like I said, you screw up your layout, you're you're kind of you know in in deep trouble. And the place where it gets a little trickier for for design lovers is blending different furniture styles, right? Because I'm sure you too have you know, accumulated different items through your, through your life and being able to determine what looks well with other things, what styles blend well together, which styles don't blend as easily together. Um, so furniture is, it's a deep dive. And, and also I think the furniture market today is scary for consumers on, on the race to lower consumer pricing. Manufacturers are, they're not cutting out their profit margin, they're, they're pulling out quality from the manufacturing process. And at the very top level, at, at the luxury end, highest, best performance, best pro- highest price product, I don't think that's as much of an issue, but in the mid-tier prices and the entry-level prices, it's incredible to me what's, what's happening out there. It really is. So I think buyer be aware is really important in furniture purchasing. We always teach Google anybody before you purchase furniture from them. I don't care if they're an online resource or a brick and mortar. Google complaints against so-and-so, the store. And if it's a brand you're investigating, complaints against brand X. In fact, complaints against brand X's sofas. And see what comes up. And if you hear, see problems, you know, stay away. All right, then. So how can we generally think about, like, the differences in cost and quality, how can, what should we be looking for? I mean, obviously you, you've given me a good advice there, Google people, but I mean, especially you said entry level stuff, mid level stuff. What are we looking for? Why, why sure, is it yeah. so expensive? Why is it like, why is this, why is this one better than that one? How are we supposed to know? You can know. You know, the bottom line is, is that furniture is, it's a pain in the butt to make. It's complicated. It's a lot of moving parts. I always joke that, you know, furniture costs more, that anybody wants it to, wishes it would, or thinks it should, uh, because it's expensive to manufacture. You're, you're pulling together components from, in many cases, all over the world. Then they have to be assembled. And now you've got this giant, you know, 300, 250 pound sofa that is X many cubic feet. So just shipping it and moving it around is really hard. Uh, you, the consumer, pay for all of that. So Here's what I always tell people. Think of the furniture world like a staircase. Bottom couple of steps are your entry-level priced goods. These are goods that are made quickly, lower skilled um, labor, delivered at a lowest cost price, and and using lowest cost manufacturing processes because they're so they're fast. That's how they can pump out a lot and keep that pricing low. Um, and, and then you've got your mid-tier, which is trying to protect price, keep it as low as, as possible for a consumer while trying to aspire to looking like better made furniture, bench made, handmade things. And then at the top tier, that's your hand, your, your bench made um, product, product. A lot of it is handmade. A lot of it in the United States, uh, Italy is doing um, some good stuff, France, a little bit of coming out of England, a um, little bit of Spain, but the U S is actually considered a leader in, um, in fine furniture production still. Um, in terms of lowest cost and lower cost product, a lot of that went, a lot of that production went to China, um, but also Vietnam, 
bit in India, bit in Pakistan, but um, China, Vietnam, and with the tariffs stuff going on, I don't want to get political, um, manufacturers saw this coming. And so a lot of them tried to pull production out of China and get it into Vietnam um, with greater or lesser success. So what do you look for as a consumer? I think you have to just be really wary. If it looks too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. Um, and, and what might be a problem with that? If it's too good to be true and I get it, does it mean it's going to fall apart or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not going to be okay. comfortable. Yeah. So on a sofa, what is it going to mean? It means that uh, it's, it could give you, it could be really uncomfortable if you're buying it online, just might be built. So it's a little shallow. Yeah. Um, that's one way to save money, right? You, you make everything a little smaller. So if you're a six foot tall guy, you're not going to be happy in this sofa you found on Wayfair. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We'll say some other guy, some other yeah, guy, know, really tall. but, um, so well, there are tall you know, people listening. Yeah. So your cushion, your cushion quality goes down. It's, it's either very stiff sit or what we start to see in the lowest end, um, quality wise, you know, cushions start to compress really badly. And I'm not, I mean, so I could name some brand names. I don't want it because I'll get sued, but some really well-known catalogers and online resources that put out a very popular look. I've seen this furniture after a year. It looks like some of these sofas were in a frat house and they're not, they're not zero cost things, um, but they're just made so poorly that the cushions turn into pancakes. Therefore, the fabric looks all wobbly and wonky. You can get splitting uh, in your frame. You can get cracks in your frame. You have seams that start to open up. Mm-hmm. And, and the sofas just look really dog-eared. It'll start to sag in the center. Um, so that's what you can start to see at the lowest end for upholstery. And then for case goods, which is wood furniture, you see veneers just start to chip and pop. And, you know, that the veneer is so thin that uh, it's just a mess by the time it gets to your place. Or you put after you put a, you know put something down on it. Uh, with a little bit of wear, you start to see problems um, happening. And some manufacturers try to cover the problem rather than fix it. I interviewed somebody mm-hmm. for a book I was working on, and she worked for a really well-known furniture retailer. And she said, oh, we had a problem with a desk that was coming in. People would put a cup down, and they'd get a water ring. There was no water on the on the cup, but if, it was, if the cup was made out of plastic, it would leave a weird ring. Oh. Rather than fixing the finish, management said, well, let's just pop a piece of glass on the top of that. So they didn't even fix it. They just like look for a quick, you know, band-aid on the whole thing. Right. Okay. Well, buyer beware. That's what we've got buyer over there. Buyer beware and aware. Yeah. And aware. Beware and aware. I like it. Um, window treatments in general. So I think myself, windows are so important. I have this idea. I tell my wife, if we build a house, I want just windows around the whole place and you can choose to cover them. We got curtains or the, or the electronic one, whatever. Yeah. But and I want the option. I just love them. So how do you think about windows generally? What's up oh, with windows? Oh, yeah. Love, you know, one of, the, one of the trends that we're seeing of these, you know, this love of steel frame windows, that black, you know, window with the black mullions in it, the black casement casing. Uh, listen, windows are phenomenal. You pay, whether it's a rent check or mortgage, you pay for all that glass. Um, they're expensive to treat. There's glare to control. There's light to block out. If, you, if you're if the kind of person who needs to sleep with blackout linings and such, window treatments are expensive. They just are. There are a ton of labor when they're done as at a private uh, custom way. And if they're done in, um, you know, ready-made, they can look a little, little skimpy looking, but there are ways around it. Um, 
I'm not trying to do cheap plugs, but I do have a course called Window Boss. And in that course, we teach people how to plan and select their perfect window treatments, even even if you're purchasing, you know, at retail. But there are tricks that we have installers um, teaching about how to bulk up your um, your ready-made window treatments so they look like you spent thousands of them on them, you know, for their custom workroom. So window treatments are they're complicated to, to do and to do well. And every room that people love on Pinterest house, those window treatments are custom because very hard to find at retail things that will work along all of the windows in your home. Um, it's not just, it's never about just the one window. You know what I mean? I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that's very helpful. I mean, I don't even know how to start to think about windows and that's what I'm looking for here. You want to think about your windows, Matthew, Never, it's never about one window. It's about all the windows in the room, right? So you might have a, a sliding glass door and two single windows and a bay window. That's what you're dressing in that room, not just the one window. People say to me, how do I dress my bay window? Well, what, what else right. is around it? It's never about one window. It's about everything around it. Different heights. Things are always ending at different heights. How, do you, how are you going to you know, even that out? Mm-hmm. It's... um. It's, it's a more complicated answer, and I need visuals to be able to teach you the, the real answer on it now. Yeah. yeah, of course. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, how about color? Um, what are some general principles about color you can share with us? Yeah. Yeah. Color is dynamic. Color just is, doesn't just sit there like, uh, like your coffee mug or my water glass, right? Meaning color is doing something to you. It's, an exerting, it's putting a pressure onto you and onto your room. Um, dark color moves toward you and and seems to take up space. So if you want to shrink up a space, you put a lot of dark color in it. You'll just pull it all in and cozy it up. Light color is called receding, and that moves away from the eye, and it seems to give up space. So you want to make your kitchen feel bigger. If you paint your cabinets white, that that effect of that receding color will give the illusion of creating more space. So you can use that as a principle if you want to raise a ceiling or drop a ceiling. Why would you want to drop a ceiling? Well, maybe you live in a home where it just feels a little oversized to you or the ceiling height in one particular room feels a little cavernous. If you put a little depth up on that ceiling, you'll pull it down a little bit. Maybe you're trying to do work in an office or something, like as you mentioned. There you go. That's right. That's right. Exactly right. So color is dynamic and color is affected by the thing it sits next to, right? So you can, you can turn red into a very intense color based upon what you put it next to, or you can quiet it down a little bit based upon what you put it next to. What's and that's an example true of that. all the colors. Yeah. So did you ever see a picture of a color wheel? It looks like Maybe. a rainbow of color just yeah. going in a yeah, yeah, circle. Yeah. yeah. So, and that looks like something you're thinking, oh, like did a kindergartner just make that up and just color it all in? No, it's actually, color wheel is actually uh, aligned um, in, in a particular, I think, very mathematical color math kind of way. Mm-hmm. And every color has a position on the color wheel. Mm-hmm. And if you take a color on the wheel and you put it next to its opposite on the wheel, you excite it and make it bolder and louder. If, however, you take a color on the wheel, like red, and you put it next to a color that is sitting directly next to it, you quiet it down. So red sits right next to orange. If you put red next to orange, you quiet down that red a little bit. If you put red uh, next to yellow, which is opposite, or red next to blue, which is opposite it, it gets much more loud and screamy. So there's... En USPS entregamos más paquetes para que tú también puedas hacerlo. 
¡Llegaron mis zapatos de fútbol! Más rápido de lo que esperaba. ¿Entrega para la futura deportista? ¡Huepa! Llegó la sortija y le va a encantar. Está en ella. ¿Entrega para una futura esposa? ¡Oye! Llegó mi nueva computadora. ¿Entrega para una futura startup? En USPS, sin importar el negocio que tengas, siempre estaremos entregando por ti. Entregamos para todos. Conoce más en USPS.com diagonal para todos. There's never been a better time to find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app and place a $10 money line wager on any NBA playoff game. If either team hits a three-pointer in the game, you'll win $200 in free bets. Just use code CHAMPION200 when you make your first bet. Sign up now and discover BetMGM's daily promotions, boosted odds specials, and more. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com and use code CHAMPION200 to win $200 in free bets if either team hits a three in any NBA playoff game. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-888-532-3500. There's a lot more to color theory, which is why designers, we study color in school for at least one, sometimes two semesters. Sounds yeah, crazy and weird, I know, but we do. No, I, I it's not at all. I mean, it, it's, I mean, it makes perfect sense to me that, that <laughs> uh, you know, color affects your, everything about your room and the space and what it looks like, your psychology, all kinds yeah. of things about color. Um, yep. What's trending in color these days? How about that? Well, interestingly, because of this amazing thing, this little, this, uh, this, this thing called the nine square, right? I'll pull it up. This thing called Instagram, right? With the nine square, yeah. every Instagram, little teeny, teeny pictures. Because of Instagram, I think we're seeing a continuation of very light, white, washed out, bright spaces. Why? Yeah, why? Because we, we Instagrammers are taught and told that light light images look best on Instagram because it's tiny. It's this little tiny nine square, right? Nine images until you page up. So consumers, design consumers are just being bombarded by with all of these images of these white kitchens of these lightened up um, environments because they look really clean and crisp on, on Instagram. So we are seeing a continuation in terms of color of the white, the, you know, the museum white wall, the gallery white wall, it's sometimes called a museum white wall. That, that as a color movement is continuing. The color blue in general continues to trend very strong. The furniture manufacturers are behind it. The wallpaper manufacturers are behind it from navies to mid-tone blues to the soft pale gray blues. Um, a couple of years ago at a show, a major design show in Paris I attended, I saw that a little bit of black as a color splash was starting to pop out. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if this is going to catch on. It has. Um, the black and white kitchen, black pops here and there in an environment. Um, and also goldenrod, this pretty gold color. I saw a little, little sniff of it at this show, and I thought, hmm, I wonder if that'll catch. It took about three years, but that we're starting to see that color around as well. Not seeing a lot of red, not seeing a ton of orange. Yellow, not not seeing it hugely, um, but blue is continuing to stay strong. Uh, millennial pink, that blush color, still strong. Um, yeah, and and there's a really pretty emerald green that's been gaining steam um, that we're using a, as well. 
But again, what I use in the luxury design industry, I would use really literally, literally any color. Um, when you're working on your own, you are more susceptible to the trends because you are purchasing what the stores are selling and what the store you know, buyer put into her assortment or his assortment for towels and rugs and plates and dishes and, you know, and furniture. How, so, how can someone start to think about what's, what's good, color good for them? Like how do we think about it and discover that? Yes. All right. I've got an assignment for you. You ready? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I want you, and if you're working with your wife, you mentioned you, you've got a, your wife too is thinking yep. about this, all this stuff. Oh yeah. I want you to think about the room that you would love to redesign together. And I want you each to pull out, let's say, 10 to 15 images or start a file on on House or Pinterest, but 10 to 15 images of rooms that you love, rooms that you just absolutely love. Don't look at each other's images. You can't cheat, okay? I don't want you to affect her, and I don't want her to affect you. No, Nobody can be bossed around in this. Mm -hmm. And then once you have your images pulled, I want you to kind of be a detective and I want you to look at your images as far as color it goes. And I want you to ask yourself the following number and you're going to write down the answers to this. That's important that yeah. first is what color, what colors do I seem to be craving? Mm-hmm. You're just going to look at all of your images and look for the common thematics. What colors are you seeing in a majority? Mm-hmm. What color do I, what colors do I seem to be craving? Mm-hmm. Here's the million dollar question. Ready? Where do I like my color? Where do I like my color? Do I like my color on the floor? Do I like it on the wall? Do I like it kind of on the horizontal plane on the, on the furniture? Do I like it at the window? Sometimes people, you know, write to me and say, Don, I don't get it. I love the color X and I just painted my bedroom X and I hate the way the room feels. And then I take them through a little bit of this design fingerprint exercise that I have you doing here. Mm-hmm. And I discover, yeah, you do love color X, but you don't like it on the walls. You seem to like it in little pops, little accents and pillows on the bed, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So man or woman, know thyself. So that this color exercise alone is very, very powerful. And I, I, and I didn't write it, but I am going to, on the re-listen, I'm going to get my wife out and we're doing it. I'm not, if you, think I, if you think I wasn't taking it seriously. <laughs> Let listen. me know how it goes. I love yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We, Cause we think about this stuff a lot, all of these things. And we said some of the things we use the word pop a lot. I like, I say that I go, mm-hmm. we just, how can we pop this? And the, we say that I I've said before to my wife too, I say, you know, style fo- follows function because it's got a, you know, we have a cat for example, and we get, we get furniture for the cat and we're not trying <laughs> to hide that a cat lives here. She lives here. It's her house. Right. But yet yeah. how does it fit? We don't just stick a scratcher right in the middle of the, of the floor. We try to make it right. look pretty good, you know, That's and right. just, That's right. we're constantly thinking about how do we live and then how, do, how can we style it up after that? That's right. Um, well, this is all great. Uh, how about, how about light in, how light in general? How important is lighting? Oh. I, I, we're big on lighting. So give me yeah. that generally uh, what you got on light and then maybe I'll, I'll see what I've got. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So there's a great uh, design expression that where there is no light, there can be no beauty. Um, lighting is interesting. Uh, lighting is one part function, right? You got to be able to see what you're doing in whatever space, kitchen, home office, bedroom, whatever, but it's also part of the jewelry of the room. So lighting is part furniture and it's part accessory. Um, so it, it definitely needs your attention and something that drives me bananas when I'm working with even favorite builders, when they're building a home, when they select the lighting before I've even done the design for a client, you know, how do you know what 
style jewelry we need until you purchase the dress, until you know what that dining room is going to look like, right? You know, yeah. you don't you can't pick out the light fixture. So um, with lighting in general, and this is not new, if, you know, if anybody's been poking around on, on the web, you know this, but I'll repeat it. You know, you need layered lighting. You need ambient lighting, which is a more general lighting that could be, you know, um, very often that's done as, you know, recessed lighting. And then you need accent lighting and task lighting. So task lighting would be the lamp I have here on my desk so that when I'm, you know, working and writing, I've got some additional light other than what my overhead is. Um, and when you're talking about lamp lighting in a room, a good trick, a good rule of thumb is to triangulate your lighting. And what I mean by that is if you were to float up on the ceiling and look down, you want to try to make sure that the lamps, lamp lighting, whether it's floor lamp, table lamp, or most likely a combo, or, or not might all be table lamps, but that they're arranged in some sort of triangular form. It doesn't have to be a perfect, what is that, the isosceles, whatever. It doesn't have to be a perfect triangle. It can be like one of these kind of triangles, right? But you definitely want to kind of go boop, 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 boop to spread that um, that that task lighting through the room. It creates a very handsome, um, you know, moodier, a handsome, more well-dispersed light. And that exercise I gave you earlier about color, you can also look at your room images and say, you know, what kind of lighting do I like? Some people I designed for, they like very bright, evenly lit spaces, very well-dispersed lighting. I'm working with a couple now. She likes that kind of lighting. He likes when things get a little moody and edgy and, you know, so you'll notice that um, if you know what to look for when you're looking at your inspiration images. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so is, is there something more specifically I can say to you about lighting? Um, no, I guess, um, no, I mean, that was really what I was looking for. I guess then too, what are some, uh, maybe some classic uh, and trending styles of lighting fixtures, maybe fixtures particularly? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, too bad we don't have visuals here, but these big round open orbs and and gold and globes. I mean, that's that's continuing to have a big, you know, a, a big moment. Um, we're starting to see some split finishes. So you'll see a fixture that's got some gold on it and some black metal, or some gold metal, some silver metal, and some black metal. Um, we're seeing, we're continuing to see some light fixtures that are made of of, um, of wood or look like wood or wooden bead. Um, we're seeing more decorative light fixtures being used in rooms other than what they were. I know when I was growing up as a kid, you had a dining room light over the dining room table and a, and a, and a, and a decorative light over your kitchen table. But now, in the last couple of years, certainly, and we continue to see this, there could be a beautiful decorative um, ceiling fixture in a living room. And in a home office, you know, there are two decorative fixtures in a home office. So we're seeing decorative lighting definitely expanding its, its use um, in, in, in the home. And of course, this is, if you're doing modern minimalists, you have less of that. Oh, really big, the Sputnik, the return of the Sputnik. Uh, you have to Google that if you don't know what that is. Okay. That light fixture is really having a, fixture. a very yeah. strong moment. Yes, yes, oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Yeah. I, lighting in general is a big thing. I, I live in Korea, as you know, um, and just a lot of people, um, people are really getting into their like new homes and everything, but it's a lot of the hyper modern, hyper uh, minimalist type thing and very bright. So, yeah. Where you are. 
Yep. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people live in apartments. There's not many people I know that live in a, in a house because right. it's just a, a space issue. Um, yep. And real estate, don't worry, they're as expensive as houses. Don't worry. These yeah, apartments. Yeah. Oh my God. And uh, anyway, so, but we walk along and at night and you can just see a bunch of bright lights all through the thing. And then like there's our home and it's like this orange light we can see when we're you know, <laughs> leaving for the cat. And there's, a, and there's a couple more like that because we like want to keep it lower usually at night, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think a lot of people don't, and they come to our home and some of our friends go, it just feels good in here. It's like, this is a good, and it's, I'm telling, I go, lighting, come on. Lighting. It's lighting. But it, I but like I, the way I, you think, man. Yeah. Well, they're just, I don't know. So I hope that we can maybe reach out to a few Koreans here and make, help them think about it. Um, I guess maybe I'll go jump right to that, that on the minimalist thing. What do you think about that idea of this, these big rooms with not much in them? Listen, I don't get asked to do a lot of modern minimalism because of where I live in practice. I live in a suburb of Philadelphia, right? So a lot of our clients are asking for more um, transitional that can be slightly modern leaning. I love modern design. I really, really do. Very big where you live and also much bigger in in the cities in the United States um, and in Europe. Um, Generally speaking, modern design I think is very sophisticated looking for some people it's cold, but again, it tracks back to your design fingerprint. For some people, there is not enough movement in it. There's not enough, um, certainly not enough. Um, what's the word embellishment in it. I, I think to do it well, I think it can be very beautiful. I understand why some people find it sterile. Uh, I, I don't, personally prefer to live in modern minimalism. I like modern, um, but I, I probably would lean more to a, a less austere modern for me personally. Um, and But the less you put in it, the less you put in an interior, the more brilliant you need to be at it. And I, I, I don't remember the name of the designer, but I remember being in, in, at a show house in Paris and um, an, an Asian designer did such so some brilliant work with furniture that kind of morphed and it, t- it changed shape. You could unfold the sofa and it turned into a chaise and then it turned into a bed. If you flop this over that, it was, it was very modern, very hip, very cool. Um, so I, I like it, but I understand why people don't just, so, just as people who love modern design, look at something, you know, an English traditional room and think, Oh, mm-hmm. open a window. I can't stand this. There's just too much stuff in here. Yeah. So I get why people crave, uh, what they what they what they have in 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 um in a modern interior, and I also think, and this is just me, but I do think that what you're surrounded with starts to affect what you're attracted to. Oh. You know, why is it that clients that move to the United States from India are asking us sometimes to work in in uh, color palettes that are different than what a lot of my clients in Philadelphia normally ask me to work in? Why is it that clients of in Dallas are asking my buddy designer, my, one of my buddies that uh, is, is down there designing, she gets asked to do different things based upon that climate and that area. So I think part of it is where you live starts to affect what you want and what you want starts to affect, be affected by where, by what you see around you. Oh, big time. You mentioned though, that, that uh, furniture that morphs and all that these days, it's really hip to see a lot of these couches, they slide in the back of the cushion or something and come in and it's more upright. And then you, 
you space it out, you can lie down on it more. So yeah. you move around like that. And I think that's born of, you know, l- little space. I mean, you can't, yes. you, you're not designing a bunch of rooms. It's not like I have like tw- 10 rooms to, to design. No, you've got like one living room in this house and you're just going to have one piece of furniture. And there's pretty much only one layout you can have. It's like, we can't have the TV. It, it, does, it just doesn't work. There's no space. Yeah, I'm, I, we just finished designing a room, a home that was uh, 45 rooms in this estate. And there's a client uh, that wants us to, to talk to them about designing a room, uh, a home for them now, 69, uh, between the main residence and the pool house. So a lot of space. One of our specialties is these really big homes, but making them feel lovely and cozy. Yeah, right, which is a so huge challenge. We don't have to worry about making, making furniture more if you just go to another room. So Yes, got it. All right, then. So what about this? This is a little general. It's you're looking at a room, you say, what's wrong with this thing? It's just not just mm-hmm. right. How can I fix it? How do I even start to think about how to, how to help this room? Yeah. So, you know, design has been really dumbed down by the DIY design machine. Um, design is expensive. It is time consuming. And to do it well, you do need to have some strategy. So to kind of like bring it full circle to where we started. I think you have to educate yourself. Either you hire somebody who knows what they're doing, who can do it for you. And if that's not aligned with your values or your budget, then you need to educate yourself. And I'm not talking about just, you know, reading a blog post, because like I said, I write blogs and there's not much you can do in a watered down 300 or 400 word blog post. I can't even, I think what what is, I've read that in two minutes, you say about 600 words, right? So what can you really communicate in two minutes of speech? That's how much you can communicate in a quick blog post, right? So I think you need to educate yourself and, you know, take a course, take an online course with, with, you know, someone like me, take a course in a local college, if that's more your thing. But if you're, if you really want to seriously move the needle for yourself, if you keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to keep getting the result you've been getting. And I wish there was a shorter answer for me to give you, Matthew, but there really isn't. Design is very strategic. It's very formulaic. And when you know those strategies, when you know those formulas, you can design a one-room apartment. You can design a 25-room home and anything in between. Strategy, strategy is strategy. And I encourage people to get their hands on it. You know, a lot of people put more time and effort into planning their uh, at vacation to uh, Disney, Disney Europe or Disney US than they do in figuring out what to do with the money that they're going to be spending to beautify their environment that you live in day in, day out, wake up in, come home to. I think that deserves attention because as we started saying earlier in our talk, the way we function and feel inside the, the four walls of our body is absolutely affected by and pushed by what we live in. Every minute of every day, your home is exerting an influence on you. So like I always like to say, stack the deck in your favor. Yes, exactly. And like you say, you don't learn anything necessarily in blog posts. They're helpful to do those exercises that you want me to do to have some ideas and all that. Yeah maybe practical ideas on the end. But if you want to learn about anything, I talk about on the show, think and thrive, right? So what I mean is if you want to have to get good health, you don't just read a, read a health blog. You got to like find out what, how does the body work? Well, how does, how does nutrition work? You got to find out fundamentally what works and then start to assess what people are saying on blogs and all that stuff. So you have to right. educate yourself. And the same thing is true with interior design. You're going to be living in a home somewhere for your whole life. So you're going to, and you're going to have to redo it all the time and, and adjust it. And, you know, li- life changes and, 
and so will your home. So if you don't know how to do it, at like on the fundamental level, right. you know, I'm I'm just down, just agreeing with you. Down with educate yourself. I love the whole yeah. I th- I thing. Maybe how about a, just a, maybe a couple more if you're if you're all right. Yeah. 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 Um, how about this? Do you um, is there a particular room or a general aspect of the house, like say walls, windows, a piece of furniture, say that we ought to prioritize if we're on a limited budget and we can only afford to do one thing? I guess like what's the most high leverage thing we can do to affect the look and feel of our home? Yes, paint color is like the cheapest, fastest, downest, down and dirty way to exert a very immediate influence on any room to change your room. So saying earlier, accessorization also really big. Um, and that doesn't mean a lot of accessories. It just means the right things, right size, right proportion, right placement. Um, so I think those are, are some power, power areas to look to. Um, in terms of rooms that are important, you know, the most ignored room in most homes is the master bedroom because it's not a public space, which is such a shame because we spend a lot of time there. So I'd love to encourage people to at least get in there and do, even if it's some down and dirty redo with some, a great new fresh, you know, pink color and bedding and so forth. But I think the most important rooms in the, in your home definitely are going to be your kitchen, whatever that living space is, if it's a little kitchen, living room, sort of something. Um, and I think the bedroom is very important. And I also think now with more of us working from home, I think the home office is very important. And a lot of people are responding to this pandemic now by, you know, oh my gosh, all of a sudden I have to work from home, never did before. So they're cramming a home office into a corner of their bedroom, ah, kiss of death, or they're trying to work on their kitchen table. So there's just, you know, there's no room for them. I think that there's some stress that people are going to be feeling until they figure out how to create a good feeling high-functioning um, home office. So I think that's becoming a more and more important um, element for people too. Very good. Thank you. Um, do a quick one on plants. What do you think about plants in general as far as accessorizing? Love, love, they, love them. Do people pay attention to them too much? Some people. Well, you know, I, I, I think <laughs> my my design divas, my, my, that's what we call our community, yeah. they tease me because I've been a little vocal about not loving faux greenery. But it's be- if you get a high quality faux plant, I, I, I've come I've come over to the dark side. I prefer a live plant, and I think we just wrote a blog post on this. I don't know when it's publishing, but you know there are some plants that are no brainers. In you know even if you don't have a green thumb, you can grow them. And then some plants that are total brats. You know do not want to go near like a fern. They're impossible. Um, and fiddle leaf figs are having their big moment. We love putting them in. And you know as designers, we put them in our in our room shots. They look amazing, but. They, that, that plant will flip you the bird really quickly if you don't water it exactly perfectly. So, you know, you have to be brave with a fiddle leaf fig. But there are other plants, you know, that I think are great and easy. Succulents are easy. And plants definitely not only add a great organic hit to a, to a space, but they add a freshness. And um, I think they're wonderful. I see you have one in your workspace. I think they're wonderful in workspaces. If not a live plant, live flower, love orchids. They're low cost. They last for weeks, they last a couple forever. of ice cubes a week. I see you have them too. Yeah. We've got, so. we've got a, viol- a purple one just like yours out there. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So I really, uh, we, we do a Facebook live every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern. Um, and we were on with our, our peeps today and plants came up um, and I was, I was pro plant. I think they're great in bathrooms as well. Master baths as well as small, you know, bath, you know, half baths and that sort of thing. So I think plants are great. However, 
I think you need to pick your poison. And, you know, two plants is good. Three, you might be kind of starting to look like the old lady with, all, with too many cats. So not too many plants in one room. You know, floor plant, something on a tabletop, maybe a live flowery thing. That's plenty until you get to your next space. Okay. I just want, maybe this might interest you just because you just said too many plants. I want to second that. We had uh, one woman who sold us a, a, like a tree in effect, like a big plant uh, from her place. She, they came and delivered it. And then she liked the way our home looked and she wanted to have uh, use our home for like a TV program. She was going to do advertise her place. So the idea was they would come in and then they go to this, they, they moved all the stuff out and have it all bare. And then she comes in and then arranges it all. Right. And yeah. then, you know, that's what it was going to look like. Well, it turned yeah. out they brought in way more plants than what our home actually looked like. And I was not <laughs> happy with what it looked like. And then I'm on TV and it's like, you know, people think this is my home and it's like, no, this is not at all. They just came in and took like, so it was kind of, we were kind of blindsided <laughs> by it. And I, 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 thought, ha- group. <laughs> I thought the few that we have that we had looked good and that's why she liked it. But then they came in and killed it with too many. So yeah, you know, like a jungle in there. It's like a jungle. It looks, it starts, it becomes distracting. Same thing with, um, people are not going to like this. Same thing with family photos. You have eight billion of them in a room. Nothing's important. Pick your top three, your top five. And if you just can't decide and you're afraid you're going to insult your mother-in-law, get one of those electronic frames that you can program with 15, you know, 1500 images or a hundred images and let it just kind of cycle through. Um, too much of anything and, and nothing matters anymore, right? So I think you have to be selective. So plants and photos, family photos. I hear it. If, if, it's, if it's too many, it's, you're not choosing what's important. I like it. It's, yeah, uh, it becomes noise. Yeah. Let me give you this final one. Before we go on to a few of the details at the end, uh, just sure. where people can find you and stuff. One more here. How do you, Donna Hoffman, think about your own home? That means what is important to you and what are you trying to express and enjoy through your yeah. Yeah, so home for me is haven, it's nest. Um, I don't really, I think it's really the, the most soulful place um, for, re, re, for regenerating. Um, our design studio is here in our home. Um, we do not open our home up to clients. Um, it's, it's, it's hard enough for me to have my staff here throughout our home. We've got a big team. Um, home to me is very sacred. And um, I think... For me, home is an extension of who I am, how I live, how I want to live, how I want to feel. And absolutely, my home it definitely brings me a sense of peace and a sense of joy. Um, the beauty that's in that home. I, we didn't even talk about artwork, but, but art is so powerful. Something that you find beautiful. It doesn't have to be expensive. You could have gotten it from, you know, flea market. But if you find it beautiful... And you drink that in, you look at that, you know, right over my desk is a great piece of artwork I found with a fantastically talented artist, street artist in, from New York City. So um, crafting beauty around you to lift yourself in life, I think, is so powerful. And we don't live in a very easy world. And we live in a real world that has a lot of beauty in it. But we, we also live in a world that doesn't have some, you know, there's some ugliness there, too. And uh, I think if you're a sensitive an empath, an HSP, or just somebody who appreciates beauty, I think you have a sensitivity to you. If any of that is true about you, being in the world is not always the easiest thing in the world, right? Because you turn on the news and it's pretty depressing. So I think for me, home is a place where you can control what that visual energy is and what that aesthetic energy is and what the sensibility and the feeling of, of that space is. 
Um, and especially if you are sensitive and I am, I think it's, um, as necessary to living and feeling good as breathing and drinking water and eating well. Well, I'm hundred percent behind all of that. Um, now, before I ask people, ask you where people can find you and that stuff, uh, like art, for example, artwork, is there something I didn't ask you about that you wanted to make sure you, you discussed or anything or. Yeah. Um, just with art, I, um, there are so many powerful things you can do with artwork. It doesn't have to cost a, a lot of money at all. It's not what you spend. It's what you do with what you spend. The biggest kick with artwork is proportion. You want, you can make a much better statement by doing fewer, larger pieces, and you can find things online. You can find things on Etsy. Um, we just released, um, it's really for our students, but we made it public for a little while, this really cool artwork cheater guide um, that just is like a fire hose of ideas for how to create artwork when you have no talent and you don't have a lot of money either, uh, where to find it, you know, and how to put it together. Um, artwork, beautiful art is not, does not have to be for the, for the wealthy. Um, it, every woman, every man in their home should have things that you find beautiful. And, um, artwork is a powerful anchor in every single room. And the less you spend on the room, the bigger the artwork, the cooler the artwork, the, the more million dollar like your room will become. And it could be a piece of art you spent 50 bucks on or 89 bucks on. Again, it's not what you spend, it's what you do with what you spend. All right. Well, there's another high leverage thing you can, you can help to, to, you know, bring, uh, raise your, your, the level of your home. So thanks yeah. for all of that too. Sure. Um, Let's see then. So I want to say to listeners, just before I ask you where they can find you, I say to listeners, uh, you've, hear, you've heard Donna, you've heard how she thinks about this. I mean, your home is a place where you have control over how, how you see the world and, and what kind of world you create around yourself. So, um, and you know, other people need this kind of advice and need this thinking. So share this interview with people who you think uh, would benefit from listening to it or enjoy it. Um, Obviously, you don't like the questions I asked. You want to know something else? Well, go ahead and ask a question. Get in the comments section. Ask questions there. You can also go to the Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash matthewbolton.ca. Ask a question, uh, obviously, likely for Donna. And if uh, anything directed to her, I will redirect to her. Now, Donna, where uh, should people go if they want to connect directly with you or learn more about you and all of your work? Sure. Yeah. So um, you can find us certainly our website, which is theinteriordesignadvocate.com. Um, and if you go to the learn design online tab, you'll see the courses that we offer are really uh, great selections there. You can also find me on Instagram with the interior design advocate brand, but our handle is at decorating.genius. That's at decorating.genius. And if you want to see what kind of mischief we're up to in our luxury design company, that's just um, Interiors by Donna Hoffman. And you would find us there. Or that uh, Instagram handle is at IDH Designs. That's at IDH, like I like interiors, D like Donna, H like Hoffman, at IDH Designs. So we've got our luxury design brand, our online education brand, slightly different flavors to both of them, but I'm, uh, I'm there behind both of them as well. Excellent. And people can find those in the show notes, all the links there. We'll have all that. Yeah. Oh, oh, and you know what else? Um, if, if you like one of the courses that you see, don't buy it right there. Go to, the, go to our blog at theinteriordesignadvocate.com. And that right now we have um, current 20% off coupons. So you can use one of those 
to uh, take the price down a little bit on one of our courses and have a little more money to spend on a new plant or something else Matthew mentioned during this interview. Excellent. All right. Well, Donna, I learned a lot from this and I just enjoyed myself a lot. So thank you very much for coming on. I loved it. Thank you so much. Yes. Okay. To everybody else, go to Interiors by Donna Hoffman. Learn how to think constructively and creatively about how to optimize the spaces you live in and make your home and life beautiful as you deserve. I'll see you guys next time. Mr. Brightside, your time out to refresh, refuel, and refocus your mind and energy toward building an optimistic framework for flourishing. Life is good. It's up to you to choose the bright side. There are all different sizes of businesses. Big business, small business, that awkward growing phase business, the running this thing from my garage business, and the OMG we can't hire fast enough business. Wherever you are in your business journey, HubSpot's powerful but easy-to-use CRM platform grows with you. It lets all of your teams work together seamlessly, whether that's just you and your roommate or colleagues across multiple time zones. Grow better with HubSpot by connecting your people, your customers, and your business. Learn more at HubSpot.com.